0: Thank you for listening to Tales from Witchhaven. This podcast is created by Dan Lee and Rodeo Whiter, and produced by RodeoX. Hello, thanks for tuning in. I'm Jackson Thorne reporting to you from JT Auto Repairs for all your motoring needs. As always, I'm joined by co-host and published author Imelda Blackwood.
1: Thank you, Jackson. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If this is the first time you've tuned in, congratulations, you've made it. On this public access radio show, we aim to uncover all of the mysteries of our sleepy little town and expose them for what they are. A dark conspiracy, a supernatural threat from the great beyond, or just a big misunderstanding.
0: This week's story began when Mrs Cavisham came into the garage, telling tales of a mysterious green light glowing throughout the Witchhaven woods. Naturally, once I had finished her M.O.T., I called Imelda, and we wanted to investigate. We have always been slightly suspicious of the woods, everyone in the town has, because of the military base behind them. Nobody, to my knowledge, has been seen going in or coming out of that place.
1: But we certainly hear some peculiar sounds coming from there after hours. I myself enjoy walking my dog, Bertie, in the Witchhaven woods every night. However, when Mrs Cavisham came into the garage, that was the first I'd heard of any mysterious lights emanating through the trees.
0: I walked through the woods on the way to and from work every day, and I'd never seen a strange glow coming from there.
1: So the first thing we did was sit down with Mrs Cavisham with a nice cup of tea and a digestive biscuit.
0: I always make sure I have digestive biscuits in the shop for her. I don't know why, but she's always in the garage with one problem or another. I have told her she needs to get another car, but she tells me it's like having an old jumper. You just don't want to get rid of it. Sounds like rubbish to me, but...
1: And she's also one of our esteemed listeners. Hello, Mrs Cavisham. I'm sure Jackson appreciates your visit. Moving on, Mrs Cavisham lives on Oak Crescent Hollow, the winding little street which backs directly onto the Witchhaven Woods, and she reported seeing the green light somewhere between 11pm and midnight every single Tuesday.
0: Obviously the woods are home to our local coven, the Sisters of the Blood Moon, and you can never be too sure what they're up to. They say it's wise not to get too close either, but what really got our curiosity going was what Mrs Cavisham said next.
1: She reported hearing the strangled cries of beasts all through the night until morning, every single Tuesday.
0: I think what she actually said was, the foxes are making an awful racket out there. But strangled cries of wild beasts, same difference. After speaking to Mrs Cavisham, we went to visit the local wildlife conservation society to talk to them about the mating habits of woodland animals around this time of year. In short, the badgers are blue and the foxes aren't having much luck either. We asked them if there was any reason that the woodland animals might be making those kind of noises at this time of year, only one day a week but they told us that they could only really answer that question if they heard the sounds themselves. We asked the leader of the society if he would like to come along with us at night and listen to the sounds. We had never heard them before either, so we were equally as intrigued as him. We went along to the woods at night in hope that we were to hear these sounds.
1: If any of you listeners have ever been badger-watching, you'll know how numb your bum gets crouching in the damp and dark for hours on end. We huddled together on the old fallen oak and listened for the screams to pierce the night, and sure enough, when the witching hour was upon us, the harrowing wails began to sound.
0: That's when the conservationist started to get nervous. These screams weren't like anything I'd ever heard, but I was hoping they might be something natural and easily explained. The conservationist said that he had never heard anything like it, and he wanted to get out and away from there as quickly as possible. I'd never seen anyone look so scared. He was truly terrified. I asked him what it was. He obviously had some sort of idea, but he wouldn't tell us. He just kept saying, we need to get out of here, over and over again. He even tried to pull up my arm and drag me away, but we wanted to know more. The conservationist clearly knew more than he was letting on, but it was obvious he wasn't going to tell us anything. So Imelda and me wanted to stay in the woods and try and find out for ourselves. I told him to go. We would stay and keep watch, but he wouldn't have it, so we left the woods.
1: It was only when we reached the safety and comfort of his halogen-lit study that the sweat ceased speeding on his brow, and his breath began to slow. Once again, we found ourselves making a pot of tea and coaxing him into conversation with a digestive biscuit. All he could tell us was this. The screams were not natural. They were the sounds of almost every species that resides in those woods, nocturnal or otherwise all waking in the darkness and howling with pure, primal fear. These animals were terrified for their lives, and we had yet to find out why. The glowing lent us no clues to its origin, nor its purpose in our midst.
0: We saw the glowing around the same time as the animals started screaming. It was like no light I'd ever seen.
1: A beacon of whispering mystery, reminiscent of the northern lights themselves, brought to earth and grounded between our trees.
0: You're doing it again. What? The author thing.
1: Oh, sorry, I got carried away. Uh, The lights were shining through the trees.
0: We wanted to go and investigate the light and where the hell it was coming from. We couldn't see from where we were sitting that night, but we could see movement ahead. We thought we could see shapes in the sky. We weren't too sure, but the screams were coming from the same direction. What was it the conservationist said about the military base behind the woods?
1: He said they were testing some sort of new technology. All very hushed up, not the kind of thing one can investigate unless they have military clearance, or unless they have a right of passage through those woods as a member of the Witches' Union. I wasn't thrilled by the idea, but all paths led to us inevitably talking to the Sisters of the Blood Moon.
0: Not thrilled is a bit of an understatement, don't you think?
1: Well, they're very rude about me at the council meetings. The only reason I sit in that cafe for so long is because I enjoy people watching, and they stock the best Earl Grey there. I'm terribly sorry if people-watching isn't a pastime that others can understand, but...
0: Okay, so we went to talk to the Sisters of the Blood Moon. Or, more specifically, their High Priestess, Lilith Grey.
1: Her name is Lily. She only calls herself Lilith for effect.
0: She doesn't listen to this show, does she?
1: So what if she does? She's already put a curse on my name three or four times. What more can she do?
0: Uh, She could curse me.
1: Yes, well, we went and spoke to her anyway. As it happened, she was more or less in agreement with Mrs Cavisham. She did not know what caused the green light every Tuesday, but it made her and her sisters uneasy. It was not natural, which apparently knocks her magic off kilter, which is why my milk hasn't gone sour and a rain cloud hasn't materialised above my house.
0: No, that rain cloud would have moved to my house after this. So we asked her, had she ever seen any green glowing through the trees before? She hadn't. She mentioned the time she had evoked the elder spirit, that was more of an orangish glow with smoke.
1: She told us that she had witnessed a bluish purple glow before, but that turned out to be a car's headlights reflecting off of a pond.
0: So I asked her, what about the animals? Have you ever heard screaming like that before? Again, the answer was no. She did say, however, that she had noticed every Wednesday morning around 5am military trucks and soldiers venturing into the woods and then retreating back into their base around 6am. She also mentioned something moving in the sky on Tuesday nights. She couldn't tell us what it was, but she said there was definitely something there.
1: So we left her cottage, satisfied that this wasn't of the sisters doing. The only lead we had at this point was that military base. So the following night, we armed ourselves with binoculars and slunk into the woods once more by the light of the waxing moon. Under cover of midnight, we traced our steps through the trees past the fallen oak, and into the beckoning density of the woods.
0: This time the woods were unusually quiet. There were no screams, there was no glow, and there was no movement in the sky. Nothing.
1: As we trudged upon the pine-strewn ground, an uneasy feeling crept its way inside of us. We both felt it. Like some great unnatural force was compelling the very trees into sickness. "'There was a high breeze rustling through the leaves, "'causing fleeting shadows to flit like spectres "'across the under-earth where we walked. "'We knew that we were getting close "'because the feeling in the pits of our stomach "'only hardened with each step. "'It is common knowledge that our Witchhaven woods are special. "'They are not like ordinary woods "'filled with quietly bumbling hedgehogs "'that splatter on the roadsides. "'Our woods have a certain quality to them, "'a deeper resonance.' and every creature that finds its home between those trees is a part of it. Jackson and I, like so many of you listeners, grown on Witchhaven soil, are no different. The trees were warning us of danger.
0: We didn't want to carry on, but we knew we had to. We had to find out what the hell was going on in these woods. Finally, we reached a clearing, and where there was a gap in the canopy, moonlight could shine through and show us our way. At first, we didn't see it, It was standing so still. At the centre of the clearing was a deer. Imelda pointed it out to me and told me to stand still. She didn't want to scare it away. So we stopped at the edge of the tree line and watched.
1: The deer walked towards us, a brilliant stag adorned with moon-dipped antlers that pointed proudly to the sky. There were endless stars that night. It walked towards us, whether out of curiosity or allured by our scent, untainted by whatever poison had doused the earth in the woods. And as it stepped even closer, cold sweat beading on our brows in the humidity of the night, it opened its third eye and looked at us thrice.
0: We both jumped backwards, didn't we? And I fell back, tripping over a tree root or something, and ended up on my ass. The sound of the fall scared away the deer, but I noticed that the leaves on the edge of the tree line had been scorched, even some of the branches were burnt away.
1: The deer scarped, but our eyes, now adjusted to the gloom, could see that there were deep furrows in the earth, caterpillar tracks, leading into the clearing and out again in the same direction.
0: This made sense with what Lilith had said about... Lily! <clears throat> this made sense with what Lily said about the military truck going into the woods the morning after. But what were they doing here? And more importantly... Why were those tree branches scorched?
1: Once Jackson had dusted himself off, we followed the tracks, desperately trying to mute our footsteps as we drew ever closer to the military base. As we approached, the sounds of industry hung stagnantly in the air, the gyrating of machinery cutting through the night and drowning out the voices of the forest.
0: We reached a chain-link fence. We could see some activity, but we weren't close enough to completely understand what was going on. I wish we'd have taken cutters with us now.
1: It's probably not such a good idea breaking into a secret military base at night.
0: We had to get in there somehow. We needed to know what was going on. We knew we wouldn't be getting in that night so we watched from the trees for a little while and then decided to call it a night when Imelda started to fall asleep on my shoulder.
1: I knew I shouldn't have switched to decaf.
0: We retraced our steps through the forest and out to Mrs Cavisham's road, Oakcrest Hollow. My head was reeling by the time it hit my pillow.
1: We were at a dead end. So we decided to take the next day off to review our course of action.
0: And I had an exhaustive to fit, and a few other things.
1: So I decided to go for a pot of tea at my usual haunt, the crooked kettle. I sat in my usual seat and pondered on our situation. Often when I'm facing a challenging section in a novel, I find the best way to overcome it is to simply watch the world go by, absorbed by people's comings and goings, and let the subconscious work through the problem. However, this time, I did not need to rely on my subconscious. At around noon, two tall gentlemen with matching crew cuts walked in. This struck me as unusual, as I did not recall seeing these two in the town before, and two friends sharing the exact same haircut is a rarity even among the fashion conscious. I watched them as they ordered coffee and took a table, speaking in hushed tones all the while. Luckily for me, the table they took happened to sit adjacently to the women's bathroom, so it was easy for me to surreptitiously walk past them without arousing suspicion. I first walked past at a leisurely pace, making an act of appearing away with the fairies. As I passed, I caught a brief snippet of their conversation, but it gave me enough information to confirm my theory. They were from the military base. They were discussing the amount of waste generated in some kind of process. When I had reached the bathroom door, I heard one of them utter the word, "'Woods,' which confirmed beyond doubt that I had found our next clue. I hovered by the bathroom door, just inside, but propping it ajar, so that I could see a sliver of the café just outside. The two men continued to speak in hushed tones and nurse their coffees. I was starting to worry that I had been in there too long, I might arouse suspicion, when the man directly opposite me, facing towards the bathroom door, reached into his back pocket and placed something on the table. From my limited point of vantage, I could see that it was a wallet, And so, taking the only chance I was likely to get, I left the bathroom in a faux fluster and barred straight into their table. I was able to smother the wallet briefly in the folds of my cardigan and carry it away with me unnoticed. I left the two gentlemen frowning in indignance as I scurried out of the cafe.
0: That's when you came into the shop. Right. I couldn't wait. We had to get into that base and find out what it was. First of all, what they were testing, and secondly, what was causing the screams and the glow. We waited until nightfall and then ventured through the woods one more time all the way to the chain link fence. Again we could see movement in the distance. There seemed to be only a couple of guards though, so we followed the fence and found a small gate with a card reader on the lock. This must have been a side gate, an emergency exit I suppose, because it was only big enough to fit people through. There's no way you could get any vehicles through there. They must have forgotten about it as well, it was overgrown, but that suited us. We stripped back the plants and tried our luck on the card reader. It worked. The light flashed green and we heard the click of the lock. We were in.
1: I'm all for adventure, however I was not completely thrilled at the thought of being caught breaking into a secret military base.
0: But we'd come this far. The temptation was too great. That's true. It made sense to start with the closest office. God only knows whose office it was. Even after seeing their paperwork... I'm still not sure. We had a quick rifle through some documents, and Imelda found one with classified stamps across the top, in that classic red ink, with a border around the outside. I will be honest, Witch knows me for being a mechanic, and I believe I have served this town well. But even I didn't have a clue what these documents were trying to say. Half of the engineering terminology within these pages I'd never heard of, and the other half didn't make sense at all. What I could understand from these documents was defying the laws of physics. It was talking about dimensional imaging and wormhole generators, stuff from science fiction. We carried on looking around the office, but we couldn't find anything else that might explain this, so we thought we'd better move on.
1: That's when I heard voices coming from outside the door. I put a finger to my lips and told Jackson to stay quiet. My heart was thundering in my ears. It was a wonder that the guards outside didn't hear it. They weren't saying anything of consequence. It was merely a coincidence that they had stopped outside the store we waited for them to move on before we left the office
0: i had taken pictures of some of the paperwork so rather than risk being caught we made our way through the fence and into the forest it still had that same sick feeling that it had the night before but at least we wouldn't get arrested walking through it
1: the next day i dropped the wallet off at the crooked kettle and told them i'd found it on the floor and that evening After the workshop was closed, Jackson and I finally had the chance to look through the pictures he had taken and try to make sense of what we had found.
0: In short, there is no sense to be made. This is not a case we can solve, but what we have deciphered from that paperwork is that the technology is not of this world.
1: Throughout the documents, an elusive faction is referenced, described only as the Sentinels. Their technology is beyond our comprehension.
0: It's like nothing I'd ever seen.
1: Somewhere, hidden within these documents, is the truth about the glowing in the woods. But again, we're at a loss.
0: We can only speculate about what they're building on the other side of that fence, and what it is that causes the animals to scream.
1: Our only advice to you is this. Avoid the woods at the witching hour.
0: More updates will follow as and when we find them. We can only hope that the people of Witchaven are safe from whatever resides within that base. Just before you go, we have a few community announcements. Mrs Horace would like to remind you all that the town's vegetable fair still has no entries in the potato category. The Purple Frog will be starting their domino season a week Friday. Arthur McGregor, chairman of the Friends of the Library, will be hosting this week's book club a day early as it was due to fall on Friday the 13th and Kevin, our local gardener, would like to remind the children of the town to keep out of the fountain and refrain from picking the apples until autumn.
1: And just a quick note from myself. Would the person who keeps vandalising my car please either stop or come and talk to me so that we can resolve our differences? Just because I sit in public places and write things down in a notebook does not mean that I'm keeping tabs on anyone, and there's certainly no need to damage my property over such an issue. Thank you.
0: We're coming up to witching hour now, so we'll wish you a good night, and if you're out and about tonight, don't go into the woods. Thank you for listening to Tales from Witchhaven. This podcast was brought to you from the minds of Dan Lee and Rodeo Writer, produced by Rodiacs. If you have enjoyed your stay, please like, subscribe and follow us, as we explore more mysteries from this sleepy little town. Beware, the witching hour draws near.